Today's show is sponsored by Bob's Red Mill. With natural foods, they support organic, vegan, paleo, and gluten-free lifestyles. Learn more about their commitment to good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. You're listening to Feast Meets West, the show where we tell the story behind your favorite Asian dishes. I'm Linda Liu, and on the line is my co-host in Hong Kong, Iris Van Kirkhove. Good morning. So we are broadcasting live from Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Every episode, Iris and I dig deep on an Asian dish. We trace its history, how it traveled to the West, and we interview experts on the topic. But today we have a very special episode as we have the team from the Museum of Chinese in America, or MOCA for short, in the studio with us today to talk about their exhibition, Sour, Sweet, Bitter, Spicy, Stories of Chinese Food and Identity in America. So we'll be talking about Chinese food from a macro-cultural level. For those who aren't familiar with MOCA, it's a museum in New York City dedicated to preserving and presenting the history, heritage, culture, and diverse experiences of people of Chinese descent in the United States. The Sour, Sweet, Bitter, Spicy exhibit explores Chinese food in America through the personal stories of more than 30 Chinese and Asian American chefs, ranging from Michelin-ranked to generational home cooks. Uh, for example, Cecilia Chang, Anita Lowe, Martin Yan, and Wilson Tang, who we actually interviewed on a previous episode of Feast Meets West. So I went to MOCA years ago before they expanded. It's really great to see that the museum's doing so well, and they're exploring Chinese food in America with this exhibit. Yeah, so the exhibit's actually been a huge hit. It was previously scheduled to close late March, but has been extended through September. It just shows how many people are interested in this particular topic. Um, I actually went in person to check it out a few months ago, and I love the setup. It's truly immersive and memorable. The exhibit features a dynamic video installation of the many chefs telling their stories. And in the middle of the exhibit room, a massive banquet, banquet hall, uh, the table is set up. Um, with place settings featuring unique ceramic vessels that represent the multitude of regional culinary styles and traditions in China. And you can walk around the table reading, uh, admiring the pieces, or you can sit down at the table um, and you can watch all these moving stories unfold around you. Um, so the ceramic pieces that are featured on the table were created by Lu Jiang, and Heidi Lau, who happens to be my old college friend and roommate. Shout out to Heidi. Uh, we're super impressed by everyone's output here. You know, the, the sharing of personal stories and the overall sensory concept. So today in the studio with us, 
to talk about how this exhibit came to fruition. We have three of the curators from the MOCA team. We have food writer Kian Lamco, uh, curator and director of exhibitions at MOCA, Herb Tam, and assistant curator at MOCA, Andrew Ribada. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Thank you for having us. So let's get started because I have so many questions. Um, why is this exhibit called Sour, Sweet, Bitter, Spicy? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, if you don't mind me jumping in, um, actually, our um, colleague on this exhibition, um, Audra Ang, thought of the title, um, and it's a, it was a great idea. Um, sour, sweet, bitter, spicy in Chinese, Swanting uh, Kula, is a really important idiom, which um, sort of reflects how important um, the ups and downs of life are, and how they're reflected in. Uh, the flavors, the different tastes of food. And so just by that idiom, you can tell how key um, food is to Chinese people. Um, it's a foundation of our culture, and we thought that would be a perfect uh, title for the exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that really came through. Yeah, it's a really great name. Actually, it, um, I participated in my first Chinese wedding a couple months ago, and, like, part of the, like, bridesmaid's duties is to, like, play these door games with the groomsmen where they have to, like, you challenge them to, like, allow them to get the bride. And uh, there was a game we played which was called Sour, Sweet, Bitter, Spicy where they have to eat um, something of all of those flavors to represent the life that the couple will have together. So, yeah, I really love that name. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, and that's um, how the video is structured. Uh, you talked about the video installation, and um, the video is in four chapters, um, sour, sweet, bitter, and spicy. And in each of those chapters, the chefs are talking about um, you know, different things um, and all related to those tastes and those kinds of life experiences. Mm-hmm. And especially as immigrants, right. it kind of transcends even um, Chinese experiences, too. Right. Um, so how did the idea for this exhibit take form? You know, there's so many interviewees, there's the installation component, and then also the ceramics. It's really unique. Yeah. Um, it started um, with just the central idea of um, trying to have a conversation or trying to present a conversation about Chinese food because we knew there wasn't just one perspective on it, um, but there were many perspectives, as many as there are Chinese people in America, and we wanted to as best as possible represent like um, uh, the the myriad of conversations that could happen um, in terms of uh, food and how, uh, specifically how identity is so related to um, how we eat and um, I think for again, as Chinese people because food is so foundational um, food is such a perfect entry point into um, how we all think about um, who we are. Mm-hmm. That really makes sense. So um, what kind of messages or kind of thinking did you hope to leave with the guests that came through the exhibit? Well, 
Um, one of the reasons that we interviewed uh, many different uh, people from different backgrounds and also from uh, different life experiences here in America is that we wanted to present a wide range of uh, immigrant stories, and that's basically what it is: is an immigrant stories. There's a peop- uh, there are there are you know chefs who are celebrity chefs, and then there are those who uh, came here to basically feed the family. And so we decided that one of the, uh, the purpose of the show is to share our lives, share the people, uh, immigrants' lives, uh, uh, based on food. And food is the common thread that that, that brings everybody together. And and that's uh, that's what we wanted to present is that you know the um, the immigrant experience is is, is so important uh, for uh, you know our country that that it it's, it, it, it transcends any kind of culture mm-hmm. and and by interviewing uh, 33 different peoples and have them tell their stories it uh, really uh, basically represents a lot of what this experience is through in America. Yeah. Um- Definitely. It's not a scientific dissection of the history of Chinese food in America. Um, like you said, it's very much about the personal experiences that are deeply woven into the food, the tough choices that come with being Chinese in America. And I think I read this somewhere where you guys said it's about what should be shared, what must be improvised, what can be discarded, and what ends up being non-negotiable. And that's very hard, those kind of decisions. Um, so this exhibit has been so well received and it's been extended. Why do you think people are so hungry for this content now? Um, I mean, I think right now and in the last few years, there's been a lot more attention focused on different kinds of Chinese food um, that are available in America. Um, and you know, through Yelp, through, um, you know, um, other, like, TV shows that focus on um, ethnic cooking, and there's definitely been a lot of think pieces and, um, you know, major publications talking about, like, uh, food and identity. Um, And I think there's a more adventurous spirit now with regards to eating Chinese food. People will go and try uh, foods from, you know, the northwest of China, from the... um, Northeast and and where have you and people will take the train out to Flushing mm-hmm. to try like um, certain kind of noodles you know uh, wontons and spicy sauce um, and they'll go to Eighth um, Avenue in Brooklyn and check out the Yunnan mm-hmm. restaurant that's there um, whereas before um, you know there's a sort of stagnation maybe you could say about Chinese food uh, that was kind of mired in this Cantonese. Um, based cuisine Um, and now people are much more adventurous and so for us we thought we should we should um, try to uh, bring in conversation about what that means you know for um, for for us here for Chinese in America Um, what does it mean that there is this increased attention on Chinese food Um, is it is it a superficial interest, and how can we um, present something that is a, that has depth to it, mm-hmm. and that goes to um, like who we are? Yeah. yeah. And, and just to add to what um, Herb, is, Herb is saying, you know, one of the things we were had some anxiety about was this kind of celebrity culture that exists 
around food. Um, and one of the ways that we sort of aim to mitigate that sort of impulse mm. or obsession was to also include home cooks um, in our list of chefs mm -hmm. um, that we you know, found through um, our personal networks as well as the museum network. Yeah, it's a more honest uh, kind of overview. So mm -hmm. speaking about the food itself, how many regions are highlighted in this exhibit? We, ha we have 18 regions that uh, is represented in this uh, exhibit. Um, we try, I mean, we tell people that this is not a full list. Of, obviously, China is so huge, there is no, I, I think it's almost impossible to uh, classify every single region. But um, we decided to include the ones that, uh, the ones that uh, are listed in the, in, in the exhibit are the ones that are uh, um, part of the uh, interviewee's experience, uh, mm. background. A lot mm. of, uh, so we included all the uh, uh, re regional cooking that is identified with uh, all Those the, uh, yes, yeah. all the all the uh, um, uh, chefs and cooks that we interview. Um, and in addition to that, we also included some of the uh, cuisine that was considered local, for example, American, uh, in Chinese American cuisine, and we also Chino Latino cuisine, mm -hmm. because it is part of our immigrant stories. Yeah. I mean, it is it is the whole uh, experience that we have, and you know, I think also partly one reason that I think the ex exhibit is so uh, successful is the fact that everybody, and not just the Chinese, everyone can identify food as part mm -hmm. of this whole culture um, being you know being displaced and then coming into America and trying to find your identity and that whole experience is the same for every culture every immigrants mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the reasons why we are also so successful with this because we, t we do try to in uh, in tell that stories and yes so the the 18 cuisine uh, original cooking that we represented they are all part of the uh, immig immigrants uh, that we interviewed yeah, that's uh, when I saw the like Chino Latino one being represented. It was a, quite a delightful surprise. Mm. Um, but like you said, everyone finds their own identity, even if they're not like Chinese or Chinese American coming to this exhibit. So that's really cool. Um, so I'm just wondering, do you hold Chinese food in America to certain standards? Being that it's not Chinese food. Um, being that it's Chinese food in America and not in China, because I know Akian, you're um, you know a really good Chinese chef. So, like, how do you uh, perceive the, well, the food you, know, you find here? The way I uh, think of uh, a cuisine is that there are two characteristics that is really important. One is that you have to have uh, the technique, to, you know, of a cuisine that uh, uh, you execute it properly and the second is the flavor profiles and everything else is all really uh, regional it depends on where you are and and so I personally think of uh, uh, Chinese American food for example as being a regional Chinese cooking because um, you know very often the, um, the the techniques is based on Chinese cooking and some of the flavors are based on Chinese cooking uh, but you know it's been adapted to um, to be uh, appeal to to appeal to the local um, audience and you know will that consider be Chinese food I think it is um, it's just that it's a it's a different um, version of it it's it's this and and I don't think of it as being, you know, uh, non-Chinese. That's how I, I see it. 
um, and you know, uh, and, it, and it happens everywhere in the world. It's not just a Chinese American. What about the South Asian in, in India? You know, we we have the the uh, Indian Chinese cuisine, which is based on a lot of the Hakka cooking, mm-hmm. but still. It is. It has Chinese technique. It has Chinese influence in it. I still consider it as being Chinese. So uh, that's how I would see it. Very cool. So we're going to take a really short break, and we'll be right back to talk more about Chinese food in America. whole grains since 1978. When you mill whole grains, you get all three parts, the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. The bran, or the roughage, makes up about 14% of the whole grain. It's the outer skin of the edible kernel. It contains large amounts of B vitamins, some protein, trace minerals, phytochemicals, but most importantly, dietary fiber. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Welcome back. You're listening to Feast Meets West. Today, I have the curators from Mocha here talking about Chinese food in America. So, um, I have a question on <laughs> authenticity. I know that's almost like overly talked about since the Netflix yeah. uh, General So's uh, documentary. But um, Chinese American food is authentic. Um, I think we all agree for the time and place that it's made. Um, should we be comfortable with this concept of authenticity for food and just like forego labels? Do you guys have opinions on that? Um, I mean, I think authenticity is a word that um, people in our exhibition use and they have a certain idea of it. Um, and I don't think it's bad to have that, to have those definitions for yourself. Um, it's a sort of synonym for, for quality or, or mm. an original quality for some people. And that's fine. As long as, um, you know, as long as we recognize that different people that come from different backgrounds have different interpretations of that and that, um, you know, we don't, uh, we're not so judgmental about, uh, how, what we say is not authentic. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the things that we say that are not authentic that sometimes is problematic. Um, so, you know, at least for me, I've learned not to be as dismissive of things that before the exhibition, I would say are inauthentic. Mm -hmm. And I, I've learned to recognize that some of those kinds of foods um, were really important in terms of survival uh, for immigrants. Yeah. Um, And you mentioned earlier, there's now this distinct appetite and trend um, going in the direction where people are seeking out what they, you know, find to be authentic cuisines. 
um, you know, within Chinese cooking in America. So do you feel like, you know, palates and expectations are changing? Oh, yeah, mo most certainly, actually. Um, you know, something I've definitely noticed um, in recent years is the American palate or tolerance for spice levels has mm. increased. Oh, that's a good point. Um, you see neighborhoods in Queens, New York, um, that have large Thai populations, like having a lot of Manhattanites visiting them, as well as Brooklynites. Um, you see Sichuan restaurants becoming very popular. Um, even, like, the most recent Madame Zhu's restaurant, you know, there's a lot of very spicy dishes available. Um, so I think in, in that sense, yeah, I think it is changing. Yeah, and that definitely means that places, um, you know, like the old school, like chop suey type places, the old school Chinese American restaurants in cities like New York that are more cosmopolitan, have more Chinese food options that are new and sort of quote unquote interesting. Those kinds of older restaurants are struggling and you can see it in Chinatown, you know, mm. like we went to... Uh, one of these chop suey restaurants for quote-unquote research. <laughs> and you could tell, like, they were struggling. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's affecting business for some restaurants. Mm -hmm. I think partly also is um, experience and education. Um, you know, a lot of uh, Americans in general are traveling a lot to Asia. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people who uh, was posted in China or in Asia in general for men, uh, for a few years, when they come back, they crave for the same for the for the flavors, the the, the cooking that they mm -hmm. have experienced there, yeah. and and so they are familiar with it. So it's partly the experience that mm -hmm. they've gotten. Um, uh, whereas, you know, forty fifty years ago, um, many people have not traveled to Asia, and this is, uh, uh, it's 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 also education in a way because that's you know you you educate your palate in 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 terms of. Uh, the flavor of the cuisine and so on. So I think w with all that influence, uh, uh, you know, I think you're seeing a lot of American public beginning to get more interested in the the, the more quote unquote authentic or quote unquote traditional, um, uh, uh, you know, Chinese cooking. Yeah, that's a really good point. The part about like travel and like opening up the experiences. Um, so I know for survival and adapting to new environments um, and this was talked about in a lot of the chef stories um, like components of an original cuisine or a dish may have been like lost along the way or shortcuts may, might have been taken or just like the ingredients weren't you know available um, and in our previous conversation with uh, Wilson Tang um, you know he feels like finding the right dim sum chefs are bec is becoming harder and harder. It's kind of, he's calling the dim sum craft <laughs> a lost art, um, and part of that is like because you know maybe you're going into more commercialized methods or something like that. Um, so a question I have for you guys is: as we focus on the present, would it be a shame not to like actively think about preserving? some of these like old traditions I know like part of like the movement right now is like pushing to um, recognize what's available in the present and like giving that it's like um, value but what about these old traditions do we just shed them you know that goes back to like what we were talking about earlier like what ends up being discarded what's not negotiable for that mm. I don't think that we're really losing it. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, I think uh, a lot of young chefs in America um, are experimenting 
and you know they're so in a way when they when they experiment they they move a little bit off from the quote unquote traditional mm. uh, um, method of cooking and so on. But you know I feel that if there is a demand for, uh, for example, um, you know Tim Tim Hawan, which is the new Tim Sam restaurant that just opened up uh, here in New York, and uh, you know they. Trained their chefs, and they brought in experts to come in and actually revive the the the, the dim sum art. And um, you know, and it's it's I think it if the demand is there, if we if the um, the general public are interested in in good um, traditional dim sum, I th- you know. I'm just using Tim Sam because that's an example that you brought up. Yeah. But 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 there's a lot of other uh, a form of uh, culinary arts as well that 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 you know is traditional, and we I I, I see them as being um, um, modernized rather mm-hmm. than rather than uh, you know uh, lost. Uh, so I, I I think I don't think there's any problem with that. To be honest with you, we we I see a lot of new people coming in and trying to do a lot of interesting things. For example, Peter Chang, um, who is a chef in the um, Washington D.C. Maryland area, um, you know, his cooking is amazing. He's, he's he used his he's he was classically trained in Chinese cooking, and he used his his uh, knowledge of that. Uh, and try to adapt and reproduce some of the most exciting new uh, dishes. Mm-hmm. And you know, when we talk to him about, so what kind of cuisine do you represent? Uh, is it Sichuan? Because he does a lot of spicy Sichuan. He said, no, this is in a, this is a Peter Chang cuisine. So it's his interpretation of what the classic is. Yeah, yeah. that's really great. It's like waves in all directions. Mm-hmm. And who knows? Maybe the chop suey restaurants, you know, will get like a their own movement. Sooner or later, too. I could definitely see that. You know, like a nostalgia kind of creeps in. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's certainly not my taste. But we had chop suey, <laughs> and um, I wasn't really feeling it. But um, you know, uh, definitely a lot of um, people in America they they fondly remember eating chop suey, and they love it. And so who's to tell them they're wrong? Exactly. And There's like, demand. And a lot of this is really, you know, for me, it's like driven by like food memory. Um, you know, there's a couple of chefs I can think off the top of my head in the exhibition who didn't really know how to cook before arriving to the U.S. and then are purportedly now making authentic cuisine. So even that in itself, it's like, you know, does the place matter where you're learning how to cook or from who? Um, or is it more just like capturing like an essence that you can remember that brings you some level of comfort from your youth or earlier years? Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. The um, food memories is a recurring theme I feel like on this podcast. Mm. Um, so I am wondering what is next for you guys? Are there going to be more food-related exhibits at Mocha? Well, we did this exhibition. Um, kind of on the back of a previous exhibition in 2004 did an exhibition about uh, food that was called Have You Eaten Yet? which is you know a common way for Chinese people to greet each other um, that was about the history of Chinese um, restaurants in America um, and how those Chinese American restaurants are actually very American um, and that was 12 years ago uh, we might wait a few years before we do something else that's food related, but we definitely have a lot of programs all the time that are about uh, food, and it's it's a constant um, subject for us. 
-hmm. So I think even beyond this exhibition, um, you know, we'll be doing a lot of um, discussions, food tastings. We have a food tour that's going to be ongoing um, where, you know, people can walk the streets of Chinatown, learn about the culinary history of Chinatown, and then sample some of the food. When Keon writes his next uh, (laughs) book, he's going to be back to, like, talk it up and do a reading and cook for us. So, yeah, it's always on the the plate and um i think we're you know definitely as american taste for food changes and there's more to say about it then we'll do a big exhibition in the future very cool it's like you're this uh museum in the city is taking its museum aspects out into the city especially with your tour very exciting yeah totally um so do you guys have predictions for how Chinese food will look in America in the future, say, like, in the next 10 years? Any particular trends you would want to, like, bet on? Oh, that's a difficult question. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're like, Yunnan, hottest right, thing. I, I know. That's, I mean, Yunnan has been the hottest thing in China also for, for a few years. Um, well, you know, I actually think that what is exciting is to see a lot of the young chefs, as like I mentioned earlier, that they're beginning to experiment, and I want I wanted to see where it end up. <laughs> well, how did it? Because it, honestly, at this point, I still think is uh, a lot of the young chefs are still in experimental stage. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I, I would love to see how it ended up because uh, one of the restaurants that I uh, was at a few months ago is in San Francisco um, by the chef, chef by the name of Brandon Jew. And his restaurant is called Jews, Mr. Jews. Uh, that's that's the name of the uh, restaurant. And uh, again, he in- reinterpreted a lot of the Chinese dishes with his own, uh, you know, uh, Western uh, f- uh, flavors mm-hmm. and and combination of, of ingredients. It's just amazing. It's it's it's, an, it's very exciting. Um, and you know, because. Even in Asia, in China, chefs are also experimenting with with new flavors, new dishes, and uh, so I'm I, I'm seeing a lot of that here in the U- U.S. And I I hope it gets uh, into a much better state uh, than what we used to have as Chinese American food. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Andrew mentioned um, Madame Ju's restaurant in the West Village, and I think that's an interesting model, you're seeing more um, restaurateurs come from China um, who have a different sense of what a Chinese restaurant should look like in mm-hmm. America, mm-hmm. what the vibe should be, what the decoration should be, what the food should be, and they're, um, you know, in a way, a lot looser about that, about the just the idea of a Chinese restaurant is different um, for them, I feel like, than kind of what we're used to in America. Uh, which is, you know, uh, more ornate, red, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, gold, gold, Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's an interesting trend that that we're seeing in New York is um, just just a new, new type of Chinese restaurant um, that's a little bit more cosmopolitan, let's say, in regards to, like, what's happening in big cities in China. That's cool. Yeah, and I, I mean, something just I've been noticing the past few years is... Um, people organizing night markets um, and flushing and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and um, just this idea even in the US of like a Chinese mall maybe that's more of like a west coast or suburban Mm -hmm. thing but how that in a way is replacing what this idea of Chinatown Mm -hmm. in different places and 
just having that sort of setting where everything might be under one roof or on a, a common ground, um, you have more specialized kind of stalls and street food, which I'm absolutely loving. <laughs> um, and it's something that we've been spoiled with in New York in terms of going to some of the malls in Flushing and things like that. But I, I see that model, um, which is also kind of an American model of the mall, um, just continuing to grow. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Really good answers, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, we're really excited yeah. to see where these um, trends head as well. It sounds like the story is still quite young and it's, it's unfolding uh, before our eyes. Um, so that's it for the show tonight. Thank you so much for joining us, you guys. Thanks Thank for having us, really. Um, so if you haven't visited Mocha yet, please go check it out. They are located at 215 Center Street, and the extended Sour, Sweet, Bitter, Spicy exhibit will be running until September 10th. If you enjoyed this episode, show us some love by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Also, check out all the other great shows on Heritage Radio Network by visiting heritageradionetwork.org. We'll be back next week with more awesome conversations from the world of Asian food. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.